What's up, guys? Welcome to the first episode of Season 2 of RA Radio. I am Evan. And I'm Ro. And today we are talking about longevity through performance. That's going to be the theme of this season. And we're really excited to talk to some super smart people about it. Yeah, I think we got some really great guests, um, including today's guest with Ben Skutnik, that uh, really breaks down the translation of performance and have that leading into longevity and how you can do both and where to pull back and where to push. Exactly. Ben's a really smart guy. You're going to hear a little more from him a little more about his background but it's gonna be awesome we got some more people in the hopper so share this with your friends tell us if you like it tell us if you don't but you know we already know you do so it's it's interesting coming back to this after taking a few months off it feels like a whole new world of covid craziness it really does i mean we haven't done a podcast in almost eight months um and in those eight months a lot has changed uh, a lot's the same but a lot has changed, um, and the world is dealing with COVID, and I, th- I think that um, both Evan and I and pretty much everyone in the gym is doing all right. Yeah, thankfully. Thankfully, people are healthy for the most part. People still training. We're back in the gym, which is nice. So some things have changed. All of my endurance events this year got canceled, so for all my intent of running 50 miles and, and doing a half Ironman, they are now both next fall, which is not convenient for me, by the way, yeah, because originally it was like, I have to run a 50-miler in May, do a half Ironman in August. And so it was like, I could switch my training. Yep. Now I have an half Ironman like August 30th. And I want to say that the 50 miler is like three weeks after that. <laughs> so it's like, I just have to be at 50 miler run volume oh, while yeah, also absolutely. being at half Ironman volume. So that's going to be fun. I took a break to focus on sort of movement efficiency and being strong. We've been doing barbell club for the last two months and it's been super fun. Good. Done some videos on it with Matt and stuff on my, my little personal YouTube channel. So if you want to peek into barbell club life, that's yeah. up there. And I think that's great. Um, and I know Evan's signed up for a meet coming up. We got Matt signed up for for a meet. Yosha signed up for a meet. Um, it's a, just another way to challenge yourself, make yourself a little uncomfortable and grow. Um, training wise, you guys all see me, a lot of you guys see me in the gym training a lot. I'm, I'm just following the RA strength program right now. We're in the middle of Squattober, trying to get as big and as strong as I can. Um, and it's a good time. It's a good time. Yeah, it's interesting. I've had a few people ask me sort of about what I've been doing and, and tell them about Barbell Club. And I was surprised at the number of people who were like, Oh, I didn't know anything like that was a thing. Really? Um, so maybe worth mentioning that yeah. there's class programming that goes up, but mm-hmm. there are other things like RA Strength and uh, Barbell Club. Barbell Club being an Olympic lifting focus program, RA Strength being a Get You Strong focus program. Um, and, you know, Squattober is going on right now, probably as you're listening to this. But are there are there any other major programs? So there are not. So if anybody has any questions about the programs we deliver and you want to dive deeper into Olympic weightlifting, but you don't necessarily want to do personal training or you want to dive deeper into strength work, but you don't want to do personal training to do it. We do have written programs. We use a training platform called Train Heroic. I publish workouts on there every day. I still write all of the workouts out for everybody. You can modify it as you see fit to fit your own training. But they're really great options that you can do outside of the classes that um, we really try to hit everybody's specific goal. Everybody has a goal and we want to help you get there. And sometimes the class isn't the best route to get to the goal. Sometimes the barbell club or RA strength or personal training is your best route to get to your goal. And all we're trying to do is help you. Or a little bit of all the above. You know, some people yeah, right. are mixing RA strength in the class programming right yeah. now. Some people are doing squat tober mixed with, mixed with class conditioning. There's definitely a lot of options there. 100%. And I think today's episode of what you're going to hear 
about sleeping, about nutrition, will really kind of give you a good idea of what type of volume are you able to handle. Are you someone that could do RA strength in classes together like uh, upper body Tim can do? I would get blown up, but it's probably due to my sleep. Um, So it's really interesting. I think you guys will learn a little bit today about um, how to handle your approach to volume and your nutrition and what to watch and what to measure to know. Are you hitting the right things? Right. And it's relevant like for me, taking a little break from really hammering a lot of volume and a lot of intensity and just doing a lot of technique and movement pattern work with Barbell Club have been seeing a lot of major improvements there, seeing things get better and you know, being excited now when we go back to doing engine work and everything else, like what next year is going to look like with this whole new, you know, it's sort of like build an aerobic base, then come work on movement patterns, then go back to build sort of an aerobic pyramid on top of that and then really see what we can take with it. But it's just been cool to see all that continue to happen. Excited to compete uh, at the meet just because I, I love competing. If you listen to this, you know that it's sort of half of why I do all this. So excited to be able to do that but for sure if anyone's interested in those programs they are available talk to rome or yosh or someone else and if you're curious you still can come in book a class slot on mind body and just sort of do your own thing if you ever see someone doing their own thing that's probably what they're doing is following one of the other programs Um, but yeah it's pretty cool it's a lot of fun and if that's your goal then you should go for it i completely agree and if you don't know what your goal is Come talk to me or come talk to Yosh again, and we'll help you find out what your goal really is and what your best path to getting there is. Get your goal-setting session in. Do it! So anyway, that's it for our intro. Let's get right into our conversation with Ben. Awesome. So today we have Ben. Ben, can you tell us a little bit about what you do, your experience, sort of where, what your background and what you do right now? Oh, yeah, I do a few different things. Uh, we'll start with the background, though. So, um, you know, in terms of going way far back, right, I was a kid in the Midwest, grew up in Nebraska, did a lot of active things growing up, a lot of sports and all of that. Um, went on and, and was able to swim through uh, college competitively. So that's where like my athletic career goes. Um, and in college, I dove into exercise science. And so that's where I kind of am now, right? I'm uh, part, part of my uh, resume right now is being a faculty member at University of uh, Louisville in Kentucky in the Department of Health and Sports Sciences. And you know, I also do some work with Power Athlete, uh, where that's how Rome and I got connected. Um, I do some nutrition work for them. I'm one of the nutrition coaches there, uh, and I help with the Block One coach testing, uh, kind of as the um, the the one that's in charge of the comprehension component. So I can kind of meld my academic uh, career with my practical uh, application with coaches, because I've also spent oh, uh, over a decade in that kind of private sector. So working in CrossFit gyms, uh, kind of your big box personal training setting. Like I've, I've seen kind of all walks on that side. So uh, I really like being able to interact with the coaches because that keeps me fresh uh, now that I'm not necessarily on the floor, uh, you know, pounding pavement with those guys. Absolutely. So if someone at a bar asks you what you do, what do you tell them? <laughs> Stuff, a little of this, a little of that. Fitness Um, stuff? Yeah, you know, typically I tell them it's something like, oh, I'm in the field of 
uh, kinesiology. And, and then a lot of times what people will say is like, oh, so like, um, you know, like, oh, CrossFit or, or whatever. And, <laughs> and I kind of just roll with it because I see it as like, oh, yeah, I do that. Right. And kind of a jack yeah. of all trades in this realm. Right. Absolutely. From my experience with Ben, you've always been super knowledgeable. Um, I know Ben as a dad, a husband, a dude with great hair. Um, and then a friend hair. as well. Um, I think the last time I was able to hang out with Ben was in December. We were down at the Power Athlete Symposium. Um, and mm -hmm. then since COVID has uh, affected the world, I haven't had an opportunity yeah. to travel anywhere else. So it is what it is. But um, Ben, I know you work with a lot of high-end athletes, right? You've worked from high-end athletes. And as you said, you've worked with the public sector. And you've worked with aging athletes. And you've worked with people like me, where I've, I've worked with Ben on nutrition stuff as well. Um, and the theme of this this season's podcast is longevity through performance. And what I'm trying to get at is what performance markers do you see carrying over to longevity? Just not at this top tier athlete where I'm going to try to make the Olympics. And I know um, Evan was training for a triathlon and he would probably have a million questions for you in the endurance realm because that's his jam as, or swimming. as well. I could just talk about swimming for an hour if we want because I suck <laughs> at it. <laughs> no, there's rabbit holes to dive down for sure. But um, to kick it off with... Um, some of the stuff where you and I connected a while ago with nutrition, anything that you see that taking the performance side where you're like, hey, these are some big principles that carry into the performance side. And also you can translate it over to the longevity side and pull that across. Can I actually real quickly jump in on that? Because I sure. feel like this being this. So this is the first thing in there. And that's a great question. But I almost feel like there's this general perception that's like performance is the antithesis of longevity. That's like, I don't run because I want to protect my knees when I'm older. I don't lift because it's bad for my back. I don't like, and I think for us in our world, maybe we take for granted that people think that way, but there are a lot of people I meet who are like, oh, I can't believe you're training for a half Ironman. Like your body's going to hate that when you're older or whatever else, you know? And I feel like often it's perceived as the opposite of the goal. So could you talk a little bit about like, is there any validity to that or like how do you avoid that or like how does how do performance and longevity actually fit together in general and then we can talk specifically about some of these other things yeah hell yeah yeah let's do it yeah for sure no this is great uh because this is something i do think about quite a bit because yeah like rome said i have had the opportunity to work with a lot of high-end athletes my position right now at the university gives me a lot of exposure to these high-end athletes but the fact of the matter is those are the few and far between, right? And so getting people to understand exactly what you're getting at, and um, it's, it's not as clear cut as you either have to be healthy or a high performer, right? Now, part of what plays into this is if you've watched, you know, any major league sports or anything like that, you see these guys and gals who are truly high performers and they look kind of banged up, but there's a disconnect there in that, that's their livelihood, right? And so what I try and get people to understand is it's like you guys with going to the gym, right? Nine times out of 10, you'll say, oh, I love it. But there's going to be days where it's like, oh, you don't want to go and you have to go. And that doesn't take a physical toll necessarily, but it does take like a mental toll. Sure. Well, when you're a high performer and your job is to uh, express yourself in a physical manner, the toll is going to show up there, right? So... No, I think there's a lot more overlap between longevity and performance than there is uh, disconnect. Uh, you need to, you know, will a uh, whatever, what's the NFL at now? 16 games? Or yeah, when it's I think it was supposed and to be 16 fully, right? and then it, who yeah. knows what's going to happen with all the COVID stuff. Right. And, and so, yes, when you play 16 games at that level, Pete you know, once a week, um, 
there so will be a physical price to pay. We'll but when you are simply, you know, doing what Evan's doing, trying to do like a half Ironman, right? And he wants to perform the best he can at that. But that's not his full-time job. A lot of the same factors that are going to lead to longevity are going to lead to that performance. And we're talking, you know, good sleep hygiene. We're talking proper nutrition. We're pro- talking proper training, mm-hmm. right? Like not running himself into uh, the ground. And that's where I think a lot of people kind of begin with the disconnect is that to perform, I need to train out of my mind, right? And to train out of my mind, that means I'm going to sacrifice sleep. And that means that things aren't going to be optimal. But really, um, again, if you look even at the pros, what are they doing? They're eating, sleeping, and training, right? When they're not training, they're either refueling or they're finding a way to sleep. They're getting eight, nine, 10 hours of sleep at night, right? Uh, Now, when folks like us who do have these day jobs want to perform, we have to keep that in mind. We have a day job. And we're cashing checks doing something else. Absolutely. And I say also having children and sleeping. Yeah, like, yeah. I slept in three rooms last night. I slept in my daughter's room, my room, and then my son's room. Like, I think it counts three times when you do that, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it stacks on right, itself, right? So, sleep somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, but yeah, exactly. And, and it comes back to like, what are the priorities, right? So yeah, you can have a priority of performing, but at the end of the day... Is that going to affect your bank account and is it going to affect your quality of life? Yeah. And chances are no, at least not to the extent of keeping a happy wife and kids right. uh, and keeping a steady job. Right. And so those are the conversations to have when people initially want to say like, oh, you know, yeah, performance is going to lead to, um, you know, poorer health. It's a great opportunity to tell them, no, it's not. But it's how you define performance sure. that's going to really dictate everything. Right. I feel like there's a tendency too to what you were saying that's just like people people have a very limited exposure and a very high degree of perception from that exposure that's like, oh, I know someone who ran a lot in college and ended up with busted knees, so now I always associate that with that. And I've never looked yeah. into like how to train properly or how they probably weren't or how they were totally neglecting mobility and how they weren't doing any sort of stability stuff or any of that. But I see that they're hurt. And then also Rob Gronkowski's body is a nightmare. And so like that is yeah. the, that's how that goes. You know, if you do those sorts of things, you end up that way. And not many people know like really successful high-level athletes who train consistently, sleep consistently, don't beat themselves up and just do well. And it's not because they don't exist. It's just because people don't see them as much and they're not necessarily going out talking about it all the time. And so then you get this perception that's like, okay, you know, that is associated with these problems and then everyone gets afraid of it. And it's, it's the same thing as like, I feel like when people go like, oh, I would I would love to go to the gym, but I don't want to get bulky. I want to get toned. It's just part of this, like, yeah. you actually just don't understand the physiology yeah, of any of this. And so it's like a base level of understanding how the body works. It all starts to make sense. But there's so much of this, like, misconception out there that's like, being good equals overtraining and overtraining equals injuries. So therefore, in order to be good, you have to be injured. You know, or if you right. lift weights, you're gonna look like a freaking bodybuilder or whatever else. And I it's hope like so. I know, right? <laughs> that's that's always my favorite yeah. thing is people are like, Man, I would love to do that, but I don't wanna get big. And I'm like, dude, if I, I could accidentally get big, get big <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like one of these days it's gonna Absolutely. work. You know? I, I I think I mean that's a good point, right? And there's a couple other factors. Uh you know, Gronkowski, great example, right? We didn't see him 
playing football when he was nine years old, yeah. right? We're seeing the the end point, mm-hmm. even though, you know, his career has been a long career in the NFL. Um, we didn't see the bulk of his career. And, and I see a lot of it in kind of the general population, especially now, because we, we all can agree, like what the fitness revolution has done is a lot of great things, put barbells in people's hands and this and that. Right. But it hasn't educated, like you said, right. Yeah. And, or, not maybe to the best it could. And so you see a lot of these folks who want to be high performers in their gym and they might be very realistic and say, I just want to be the best in the hour class. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, great. Sure. But what are they doing? They're, they're kind of jumping off the deep end doing like Bulgarian squat cycles and yeah. doing like all this high volume conditioning. And it's like, if we can take a step back and just rationalize that, you know, it's, it started with training plans, you know, maybe Evan, you've come across this in your triathlon training, these kind of, triathlon or marathon training plans and what those were were simply what are the best people doing and let's try and emulate that right but you people at the pinnacle of their career the best of the best you forget about that whole training age and that long like what they did to build to it and you're like well piero steamus squatted like that looks like i should squat like that right right and and so it's like if let's let's shift that to another realm let's talk about like financially right do i is it going to make sense for me to mimic exactly what warren buffett does Right. Not at all, <laughs> no, right? No. Because I'm not operating, yeah. you know, on probably even 0.111% yeah. of what he has, right? But there are principles there. And that's where I think, um, you know, the real effective coaches can can make their mark, right? Looking at the principles of what those folks are doing, you know, what the high performers are doing, and being able to apply that to where the individual is starting, right? So you could look at, okay, uh, yeah, triathlon training plan. Well, we can look at what the best are doing. Uh, so what do we know? Well, we know you probably should run, bike, and swim throughout the week, Makes every sense. week. And maybe we should somehow progress the volume, mm-hmm. right? Or progress the speed at which you're doing it. And, and that kind of uh, approach will ensure that the longevity aspect is there, right? right? Because the other thing about it is, I mean, the truth is high performers are going to be hurt, right? Sure. Even, I mean, like in weightlifting, if you heavy, uh, if you do heavy lifts for 20 years, your joints are going to feel the effects regardless sure. of how safe you are. But there's still a difference between having these kind of aches and pains and having these real substantial catastrophic injuries. Right. And you see these folks, yeah, they have aches and pains, but they mostly can avoid these catastrophic injuries because they've been systematic about how they've gone about it, you know? And, and kind of the one thing that I think, especially with COVID, uh, that we're seeing is kind of beneficial is the talk at the very high level. Like the NBA was probably the first ones to really jump on this of that idea of like load management, right? And well, why are we resting these people now? Well, it's because we want them later in the season and we have to rest them now. Otherwise, they'll run themselves in the ground. So the conversation is starting, uh, at least to be forward facing to the fan, uh, which I think is good. But yeah, yeah. it's. It's just a lot of, I mean, it's just interesting. You, I'm sure you guys have seen it. Yes. Yeah. The people who walk in on day one, it's like, I want to go to the games. And it's like, that, of course. Th- that's of course. the same as me. I like, may have <laughs> asked a question vaguely like that the first yeah. time I came in here. <laughs> it, it may have been, how long would it take for me to be that good? More so than I have any intention to. But uh, yeah, definitely a common thing. Well, yeah. And it's like, you know, because I did the same thing. I, I think I got into it in like 2009, 2010, and I feel like it was much more attainable then. Oh, 100%. But it, I went to regionals in 2009, and I, I, yeah, I, I have no business going to regionals. <laughs> I am not that yeah. person. 
but it's like if you picked up a basketball and were like, oh, how long till I can play in the NBA? Right. It's like, you know, it's, it just seems crazy. And so that's where a lot of conversation has to come from the coach's side because it is a case of they don't know what they don't know. Right. Right. You know, and, and the education does fall on, on us in the coaching realm. Um, so I think it's important. And that's where I really enjoy my role now because I can help empower the coaches to have those conversations. Right. Absolutely. Because, again, that educational component isn't necessarily easy to find, um, you, you know, especially if you aren't well-versed in this field, mm-hmm. right? I've been lucky enough to be in this field for a long time now um, on the academic side. So I, I know what conversations to have, but if you're just somebody who really likes to help people and that's why you started coaching and you're kind of learning the, the uh, yeah, physiology as you go, it can be difficult. Sure. And so, so yeah, the, educating coaches so they can educate their members. That's the, I think the important component here. Right. And I think there's such a big piece of that. That's just like taking for granted to, to what you said about like the NBA. It's just like, there's such a progressive load build with so many of these high performers that I think like, cause that's something I hear is like, Oh, I can't believe people run that many miles in a week or, or it's a conversation that I hear in the gym. I feel like once a month, that's like, everyone at the games level must be on steroids because it's impossible to survive that amount of volume. And m- maybe there's some validity to that, but my perspective is always like, I could not survive Michael's Phelps swim volume. I can't survive Zach Bitter's mm-hmm. run volume. I can't survive any mm-hmm. of these people's volumes who have slowly built this massive base. Mm-hmm. And that, But if you look at just like the amount of training any one of those people does, and you're like, I'm just going to copy and paste that, you're just going to end up hurt. Like there's no way you're right. going to survive that in any of those sports at any level. Like if you just try to jump into a a, uh, a major league baseball pitcher's routine as an untrained person, you're going to need Tommy John surgery in a week. Like <laughs> yeah, you will sure. die. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also interesting with uh, the COVID and the NFL how we're seeing a lack of a preseason where these guys do have periodized approaches. With even with this training age and this training history. With a shortened or modified season, injuries are still right. popping up. And they, they have the training age, yeah. right? They have that experience. They know what their job requires. Um, Absolutely. And it's, it's just still really interesting to see, even with that under their belt, these injuries arise. These issues come up. Yeah, and that's I think that's a, a good, um, you know, good indication or a great testament towards if you truly want to be a high performer – you have to be doing something in that realm every day, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of the, like the NFL, um, a lot of their off seasons were compromised because they couldn't go train how they normally train off season, right? They don't necessarily yeah. need to be playing full padded football every day, but they were always doing something to push that needle. Yep. And, and it's, you know, the, the quick, um, you know, kind of quick, component there to think is like oh well they're training every day and it's not necessarily the case and again that's where like boiling it down to the general population to perform well in whatever terms like if you want to be the best in the hour class if you want to go win some local throwdown or if you you know want to make uh, some level of the the games or whatever pushing the needle isn't always training right it's it's learning how to listen to your body so you know what type of training to do right because it's like I tell coaches that they should always write training in pencil and not pen because you could have the most well thought out plan. But if your athlete shows up that day and they are feeling super beat up, you you might have to change it on the fly. Right. And if you're the athlete, you need to understand what being beat up feels like. Right. Because how many times this is kind of like my biggest pet peeve. But again, they don't know what they don't know. You have a conversation with one of your athletes and you're like, hey, how are you feeling? 
good. <laughs> What's good? All right. Like, <laughs> yeah, like that, great. And you try and dive deeper, and you just realize they don't even know how to verbalize what they're actually feeling. Yep. And if they can't do that, then how do they know what they need, right? Um, and those are things that high performers know. That's, that's what I've enjoyed about coaching high performers the most is because really it's, it's like a conversation where you're just kind of managing, right? Because they know what they need. Sure. You could have an idea, but you show up, say, hey, how are you feeling? Oh, you know, hamstrings are a little tight, so I think I'm going to lay off that. And they can kind of talk you through what they want to do. And all yep. you have to do is like reassure them like, oh, that's a great idea. Sounds yeah. like a good yeah, plan sounds, today. <laughs> yeah. And you go let them do what they're going to do because – Back to Evan's point about like, well, people want to be quick to say everybody's on drugs. Yeah, sure. It, whenever money is involved, there is going to be some pushing of the envelope of how can I get the best, you know, like there, that gray zone. It's not necessarily black and white. The rules seem black mm-hmm. and white, but it's like yeah. there's this middle ground. They're always going to push that, right? The Tour de France is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you look at every time the Olympian comes around, how many countries in weightlifting are banned, right? And it, it, it's not a perfect system, but the fact of the matter is, yeah, I could do all the drugs in the world. I just can't handle that kind of volume. Yeah, 100%. Right? It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't make up the whole picture because at that level, they're looking for what's going to make them 0.1% better than everybody else mm-hmm. because they're all more similar than they are different, right? In my class, when we talk about like VO2 max, if I were to go to the Boston Marathon, I can measure the VO2 max of the top thousand finishers and it'd be almost identical. Really? And so yeah. it's like there, there are these things that everybody's pretty similar. So it's going to come down to these very small changes. Right. right and so at that level, those small changes show up like, yeah, the 0.1% difference. But then when we boil down to the gen pop, it's like, no, there's these low hanging fruits that we can pick and make huge changes, right? right? We don't have to worry about, you know, the difference between squatting 91 and 93%. We yeah. can just say, hey, over the last month, how many squat days have you made? You know, it, yep. it's, it's, but that's too easy almost. They want it to be more complicated than that. But yep. the fact is, we're not very complicated. We're pretty simple animals. That's awesome. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting. Um, I, I had read something a while ago, and I forget which book it was, but they were talking about um, they measured, I believe it was Lance Armstrong's VO2 over the course of his like pro cycling career. Um, and basically from his like initial tour where he apparently didn't do that well, I'm not super familiar with his whole career, to like the end of his career, his VO2 max actually didn't move, and they measured it mostly in mechanical efficiency was where sort of his advantages were gained. Mm-hmm. And the interesting observation there was that like, blood doping doesn't affect mechanical efficiency. So again, as much as you want to talk about like, and that is a thing and that's an ethical thing or whatever else, but like the dude was training these tiny little efficiency advantages, you know, like physiologically, these guys are all tapped out. And that's one of those things where we were having a conversation in the gym recently about, uh, Lasha's like 495 snatch or whatever it was recently and it's like honestly I I like ethically sure it's bad I don't give a shit what the dude's on if he can put 500 pounds over his head like that like that's ridiculous I mean I could take all the drugs in the world (laughs) you can put me on the Captain America serum and that's not happening exactly exactly but but that's the thing, right? The the technical components but when you talk to the general population and we were to say hey instead of doing another training session doing another metcon or whatever let's take 30 minutes and let's iron out this one little thing that's too easy that's boring that that doesn't make them feel like they really did it but absolutely um 
you know, in terms of physiology, by the time you're like 14, your aerobic capacity is kind of set. You can have like maybe a five to 10% wiggle room with training, but you're pretty much set. By the time you're like 25, the majority of your strength base is set, right? So, you know, when, and and this is if you've been training, if you go from untrained and you show up in the gym the first day of your life at 35, you're going to see some of these improvements, right? But of course, with that understanding, it's all technical efficiency, right? Right. It's all economy of movement after that, that's really going to push the needle. And again, the, the kind of, uh, unfortunate part of that is it's boring stuff. Like right. drilling is is some of the most boring stuff you can do. But you look at some of these sports like weightlifting. Uh, I like to look at like combat sports where sure. the technique is what drives the victory. These these guys and gals are drilling hours and hours a week. Right? Maybe uh, you look at like the high level weightlifters. Maybe they're lifting heavy, you know, five six hours a week, but they're drilling at least. 12, 15, maybe even 20 hours drilling positions or trying to make better positions, right? And it's it's really impressive to have that kind of determination because that's what you need to be a performer at any level. You need to be able right. to be determined because when it does get boring, you got to just remember what you're doing and why you're doing it. So here's a question for you, and I don't, I don't know this world at all because I'm going to ask you a swimming question, but you hear a lot of swimming volume. Swimmers swim a ton of volume. <laughs> Is a lot of that to gain mechanical efficiency or is a lot of that because they're, they believe they need more of an aerobic base? Yeah. So it, the old school thought would be the aerobic base part. Okay. But what, what the training world is starting to come around to is it's still volume because you're swimming, but it's not necessarily high intensity anymore. It is okay. a lot of drilling. It is a lot of technique. Okay. Um, because it is, you know, they, they do understand now that it's putting yourself in certain positions to apply force most productively and sure. things like that. Being more aerodynamic but, in the water, not aer- water dynamic. Hydrodynamic. Hydrodynamic. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah. But the thing about these endurance sports, because running is the same thing, right? Like, how can you improve your running technique without running? You can't really. So from the outsider's point of view or perspective, it's like, oh, they're just running a ton. But it's what with what intention are they doing that Absolutely. running? Right. right? Yep. It's it's not necessarily a speed session. It's not necessarily a threshold session. They're now they're faster than I am, so it looks like they're running fast. But you ask right. them, it's like, well, that was like a sixty percent, you know, easy run because I was just focusing on X Y Z. Right. Gotcha. Um, but in strength sports, it's a little bit easier to see because yeah, when Lasha has that five hundred pound snatch, you see him with. Uh, you know, a hundred kilos on the bar, you know, like, Hey, that's not very hard for him. You know, much, much easier to quantify in the strength sports. I, um, I was trying to just find this number. It was, it was from another book that I was reading a while ago. It was whatever that book I shared with you about high performers was that I was like listening to the audio book, but it, it brought up a number, um, that I was trying to remember exactly what it was. It looks like the stat was that the, there was a DARPA research on human swimmers which showed that they were about 3% efficient in the water, um, whereas dolphins are 80% efficient, but that elite swimmers are 9 to 10% efficient. So the, that, that efficiency gap between like mm-hmm. someone who can swim and someone who can swim well being you're over three times more efficient at the amount of energy you're spending, it's like, so they're going you know, five times faster than you. A certain amount of that is aerobic base that's covering that and whatever else, but a huge part of that triple is just 
just just movement efficiency. You know, a huge part of the difference in some of these guys moving is like it's not just that like their, you know, back extensors are are five times stronger than mine. It's that they're in such a good position through the whole thing, you know, sure. and I think that's something that as you start to get into that, I think to what we're saying is like progressive load increase, managing your volume and focusing on moving well are all keys to getting to that point and not sort of trying to just skip to load it up, handle all the volume, do whatever else. That's how you get hurt. But if you do that over time, like that's where all those gains happen to then perform and be able to perform for a long time. Sure. Absolutely. No, yeah. I think that's it, really interesting too, especially talking about volume of reps and talking about other things along those lines. Um, the big difference is people like we're talking about high performance swimmers or high performance weightlifters are training for their event, right? Or the football players. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're training to get paid. So yeah, as you said, they got they do get hurt and they got to they got to train through it or figure that out. Whereas when you're looking at the longevity thing, is I don't have an event. I yeah. want to be able to get up and off like up and down from the ground. I want to be able to move wood. I want to be able to play with my kids, and my training volume needs to elicit the response where I can do all of that stuff and not destroy myself right and it's not that sort of training is is never sexy in the moment if you don't have a long-term mindset about it that's like there's nothing sexy about sitting on a bike trainer for three hours in zone two when you really just want to go like take another ftp test and there's nothing fun about like all the 40 percent snatch pulls Mm. we've done in the last two months that's (laughs) like this doesn't feel like it's doing anything and then, like, you watch for, your videos. Yeah. <laughs> you can see in the videos, I've been doing Rome's Barbell Club programming for the last little bit because all my endurance stuff got kicked to next year. And I was like, okay, I'll just do some like movement efficiency stuff and like a, so much low intensity work. But I just put up a 25 pound snatch PR in like two months of doing it. And it's, you know, making a huge difference. And there's a ton more to, to gain there still. But it's like that base of like doing zone two work, doing movement efficiency stuff. That's what's going to make you good. And how many times, I mean, I see it all the time personally, because people will talk to me about whatever and setting PRs. And it's like, basically, I just tell them like, do boring work. And they say, I don't want to, you know, it's like, I'd, I'd, I'd rather max my bench again today for no good reason than like spend an hour doing what you're doing. But it's like if you want to be good long term, if you want to be Patrick Mahomes, if you want to be Michael Phelps, you have to do a lot of boring work to get there. Absolutely. And if you and if you don't want to be that, but you want to be able to do this for a long time and to stay healthy, you still have to do some of that. I think is also what we're saying. Yeah. So moving mechanics, so you move well, and you don't injure yourself. Right. Yeah, and and unfortunately, I, I don't know uh, about you guys, but that realization for me really came after I burnt myself down, right? And it seems like that's kind of the the life cycle of these folks. Uh, you know, in, yeah, like I said, 2009, 2010, I first started getting into that fitness realm. And probably 2010 to 2012 was just like, how hurt am I today? And I can make it through, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then it, it, it comes to like a stopping point where it's like, hey, I'm not cashing checks for this. And... Mm-hmm. And the goal now, I think, that I see a lot of coaches doing is trying to get ahead of that curve, that learning curve with their clients, right? And, and I think the conversations are finally there because, again, back then, you didn't know what you didn't know. The coaches didn't know either. We were just throwing stuff up on the whiteboard like, oh, yeah, this looks good. And and then this one. And then this the narrative comes. Yeah, a thousand yeah. tipping pull-ups for time. <laughs> right. And, and the narrative coming from the top end was like, oh, yeah, you got to suffer, suffer, suffer. And, and you know, it. it a lot of us come to this realization after having something bad happen. But, you know, to like what Rome said, 
you really need to just look at what you want to do, like what you really want to do, because it is that that competitive mindset is so enticing, especially if you're working a 40 to 50 hour a week desk job and you don't really feel like you can get the juices flowing anytime during your normal day. Like I get that. But if it starts pulling away from all these other things, the playing with the kids, the getting yard work done, the all of that kind of stuff, or I mean, if you're waking up in pain, like that's just not fun. Like that's not fun. And yeah, what's enticing to LeBron James is he's getting paid millions of dollars to wake up in pain. Cash and checks. Right. Yeah. You, you pay me that amount. Like I'll wake up hurting every day. That's fine. If you Uh, give me the amount he gets paid, I'll do anything you want. Yeah. (laughs) Name something. All Rome's morals go out the window. (laughs) Name something. I'll probably do it. (laughs) I mean, it's true though. But, but the fact of the matter is, and, and this is kind of, you know, even I guess it's better now than it, it ever has been. But even in the sport of fitness, if you were to make it to the top, you're still not really cashing checks. No. You know, right. like that's the thing. And so then it comes down to what do you really want it for? Yep. Like what, you know, and and you hear, um, you know, this has been the nice thing about like COVID is everybody seems to be making more content. And, you know, like the Tia Claire Toomey's and the Matt Frazier's, you can really get in their minds and understand that they if it wasn't this, it would be something else, right? They, they just can't handle not being the best at what they do. And the reality is that's not necessarily the healthiest mindset, right? Like if like you're going to take L's throughout your day, throughout your week, throughout your life. And those guys, they can't handle that. And it works well for them because they're in this arena where they can push themselves. But it's like, for most of us, it's better to manage that, you know, more effectively and, and kind of understand and keep everything in perspective um, yeah, 100%. because we have so much more going on. And I think that to what you just said translates to every aspect of your life. I mean, I, I, every loss I take, I learn from and you get better, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's coaching or if it's business or if it's family mm-hmm. stuff, you, you get shit on sometimes and you figure it out and you get better from it and you grow and you learn. Right. Well, cause that, that's the beauty of like, just like the, the glory is so much greater at the higher end of performance the effects of the losses are greater too. Whereas with us in our everyday life, it's like there, there are definite things that could happen. And again, COVID kind of brought that to fruition. There are life changing L's that can happen. And that's unfortunate. But for the most part in your daily life, the losses aren't insurmountable, right? They're not, not even really losses. They're just kind of like bumps in the road. Yep. And so when we talk about longevity, yeah, there's definitely this physical side, but, I tend to think there's more this behavior and mental side to maximize your longevity, right? Because that's going to be at the end of the day, right? Even if your legs get cut off and all this, like you still got your mind, right? You still got your mentality. You still got your daily behaviors to get you through. And and that's how you really enhance your longevity, right? Creating good habits and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that that all makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, for anyone listening, sort of just coming back to, to sum it up, you know, it's sort of whether you're aiming to be a high performer, aiming to do this for a long time, aiming for both, it's like slow and steady wins the race, you know, taking taking the the boring work that sometimes sets you up to succeed is worth doing. Um, and, you know, that's sort of the only way anyone gets better at any of this. So I do want to get back to Rome's initial uh, question mm-hmm. about nutrition and sort of talking about performance versus longevity um, in the nutrition space. I have sort of an immediate question about that because I, I waffle on this a little bit. Is like, you know, I uh, 
I guess or a little relevant information, like I lost something like 70 to 80 pounds in the last few years and then Man. started working a lot on lifting and endurance sports and whatever else. But I have people all the time who are like, oh, you're like sort of jacked and lean now. Like you must do keto and eat no carbs is sort of the conclusion. <laughs> yeah. And then my like initial pushback is always like high performing endurance athletes seem to eat like 800 grams of carbs a day and they're all fine. But I don't know if fine is the right outcome there, and I think there probably is some sort of uh, balance you could strike between there's a, a longevity balance to the just like pounding Gatorade all day versus if you're really trying to be a top-level performer and how that fuel thing comes out. So what are your thoughts sort of on maybe that specifically or nutrition in general and sort of performance versus longevity and the various sort of uh, keto, whatever else things that are currently going on? Yeah, so this is a really... Uh great conversation because this is one realm where to be a high performer, you have to incorporate what will aid in longevity, right? Unlike physical performance. Yeah. We can talk high volume, low volume, all that kind of stuff with nutrition. You have to check the health boxes before you can check the performance boxes, right? You have to check longevity. And what that means is really we'll start with like behavioral things. Uh, Are you drinking enough uh, water, right? So are you well hydrated? Are you eating enough? Right. And that's, that's kind of the one that I like to hinge on because what is enough? Well, it depends on what you're doing. Right. And then that's how you can dive into once you can establish what is enough. And here we're talking strictly calories. Sure. Then you can go into, okay, how do I get those calories? Where do those calories come from? And that's when you can start getting into, should it be high carb or low carb or keto or whatever. Right. But, uh, the, the basics are incorporated in both longevity and high performance. That is drinking enough water, eating enough to match whatever your output is or your desired outcome. And then also I like to lump nutrition and recovery in there and putting sleep because we now know that sleep or lack of sleep is really going to change how you eat, right? It's going to change your hunger cues. It's going to change the types of foods or the types of nutrients that you're craving, and it's going to affect how your body digests and absorbs. So if you don't have adequate sleep, that's going to throw off the nutrition side. And then it's like this, you know, self-licking lollipop that just drives you into a hole. That's super interesting because I haven't heard too much about um, sleep affecting uh, nutrient absorption and stuff like that. That's that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, and you know, Rome, you and I have talked about living the dad life. Evan, mm-hmm. I don't know if you have kids, um, but you ask any new parent what you know eating has been like. One, they forget Whatever. completely, <laughs> man. Like I remember, I remember the first uh, couple months after bringing our daughter home. It was like we would wake up. And then all of a sudden it was like six at the night and it's like, we haven't eaten anything. Like, yeah, right. you know, Where what are we doing? Go? Yeah. And, and so their hunger cues are thrown off and what they're eating is likely not the most nutrient dense, but it's yep. typically uh, calorically dense, right? Like macaroni and whether cheese. That's, yeah. Whether it's like <laughs> convenient or it's just because it's yeah. there. And so, so you look at cases like that and it's like, yeah, you can really see how sleep affects it. And then we can apply it all to ourselves. Uh, earlier, we were talking, uh, you know, 20, 20 years old. Uh, you can't blame 20-year-old kids, right? I think we were talking before we yep. started. But uh, think about what you were eating when you were 20. But then think about what your sleep habits were like when you were 20, right? Like up all night, like yep. just 
not not sleeping at all because you're 20 and you're invincible, but you're also eating like garbage. But you can thrive because you're 20 and you're invincible and your body is amazing thing. But now that we are not 20, right now that we're later in life, it becomes more and more important to iron out those small uh, kind of behavior changes because, yeah, if it I mean, I know now if sleep gets thrown and then I eat poorly, it's like, man, that almost that week is just kind of like chalked up to be like, well, we're not making a lot of progress in the gym this week or, or anything like that yeah. just because like I'm feeling it, you know? Yep. Um, so that's, that's kind of, yeah, sleep is becoming more and more of a thing in the nutrition realm um, because we know how tightly they're affected. So Evan, back to what you were talking about is how do we know how to make the splits, right? It's it, once we address that calorie thing, that's like half the problem. Right. So if you can, you know, accurately, I'll put air quotes around accurately assess your caloric burn and you can just match that. Or if you're trying to gain weight, you can match whatever you're trying to exceed or lose weight. You can match whatever deficit you're trying to create. You're going to get there. Right. Um, There's a when I was getting my master's at Kansas State, the department head for nutrition there, he did kind of like a self case study and we called it the Twinkie diet. So. Um, Dr. Mark Hobb is his name. And what he did was he set himself in a caloric deficit so he could lose, I think it was like a pound a week. But all of it came from snack cakes. So Twinkies, uh, oatmeal cream pies, all I've that. And then he took, this. Yeah. And then he took a multivitamin on top of that. And he, like, hands down across the board, everything improved his cholesterol numbers, his uh, glucose tolerance, everything, because he lost the weight. And so that was the goal there was to show like it's calorically driven before okay. everything else. But he must have been hungry as hell that whole time. But that's what he said. He said, I would never suggest this because it was awful. Like right. sure. he and and so then it's like, OK, well, what was he doing? Well, he was eating like pretty much straight carb, right? There's fat in there. Sure. But it was a lot of carb and carbohydrate is the least satiating of the macronutrients. Right. So meaning you're not going to get full off of carbs. And that's mm-hmm. why we can binge, you know, like, I don't know about yep. you guys, but it's like, if there's a candy dish around, it's like, well, you know, that's probably going to be gone by the end of yeah. the day because Absolutely. I'm just going to keep going back just, to it. Has anyone ever eaten less than a whole thing of Pringles? It's like the minute the top <laughs> yeah. comes off, you just go right to the bottom, no matter what. Right. Exactly. Right. And, and so we know that carbs aren't going to help you, um, uh, with your fullness, right? So when we talk about hunger cues, there's the flip side of that is knowing when you're full, but protein on the other hand is the most satiating. Um, and there's a couple reasons for that. One protein is really hard to digest. So, um, your body doesn't necessarily want too much of it. Uh, there's, there's like this thermic effect. So you, the meat sweats, right? We've probably all had yep. the meat sweats. I've definitely like, had the meat sweats. Yeah, I mean, that's like backed by science, right? Your body is going to get hotter because it's hard to digest protein. So once we establish calories, then we want to go to protein. And that's an easy across the board, whether you're leaning, uh, bulking, endurance athlete, non-endurance athlete, you want to shoot for like one gram per pound of body weight, right? So old school bodybuilder method holds true. Yeah, because what we know now, regardless of the training you do, regardless of the type of diet you're chasing, your muscle protein is going to turn over right now. If you're lifting weights, maybe we see a little bit more than if you're running, but there's still a lot of muscle protein turnover. So we need to bring in enough protein so we don't go catabolic, meaning we don't break down and start, you know, sacrificing our own muscle protein to, to meet our needs. 
So calories, protein, and then from there, it, it's not as cut and dry, um, but kind of the general rule is if you're doing more volume, whether that is a lot of low intensity volume or high intensity volume, you need the carbs, right? Gotcha. Uh, our body, carbohydrate is the easiest macronutrient to process. Uh, it's the simplest. Our brain thrives on carbohydrate, right? So, um, you know, I don't know, Evan, I don't know if you've gone, you said you're training for a half iron, so I don't know how long your longest rides or your longest runs have been, but um, hopefully not. But it, have you felt the bonk on any of your rides or runs yet? I, I don't know that I've full-blown bonked. I've gotten I've gotten miserable a few times, but based on when people talk about, like, really hitting the wall, I don't know that I've gotten there. Um, probably next year. I was, like, just getting into longer stuff when everything started shutting down, and then I sort of, like, wavered a bit. But we did, a we did like, a 130-mile bike ride at one point, and it mm-hmm. was, like, by the end of that, you're just miserable. I'm right. pretty miserable and, at uh, 20 minutes on the air dime. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. That's pretty fucking shitty. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, in, in fairness, in the air bike, you're using your arms and your legs. Exactly. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know if 20 minutes is equal to 130 miles. But, yeah, you know. But no, uh, and, and so there is a, a component of that of your muscles aren't getting the fuel, but a lot of that, too, is your brain right. is saying, like, hey, stop, because I don't have what I need, right? So... So that's the biggest thing that I see people doing is that knee-jerk reaction say, I need to be low-carb, when in reality, outside of some specific health issues, carbs should be part of everybody's diet. Um, I mean, if you have, you know, if you are uh, pre-diabetic or diabetic, you obviously need to monitor them a little bit more, and there are some... um, inflammatory conditions. So like if you have rheumatoid arthritis, uh, you're probably better off going keto because that's a little bit more anti-inflammatory. But if you are a generally healthy person, there's nothing wrong with eating carbohydrate as long as you're matching to the need, right? So if you're not very active, if you do have that nine to five desk job and you don't get to the gym very often or whatever, you don't need as many carbs as say Evan, who's doing his half Ironman training, right? But to completely eliminate them, you're going to feel some negative effects. You're going to have, um, it's going to be hard to hit that top gear, sure. right? And and it's it's going to be difficult to come back and do, you know, if you're doing a strength program, doing multiple days in a row because the muscle glycogen is what we're talking about. The sugars within the muscle or, or the, the sugars that your muscles will use aren't there, right? If you don't refill the tank, it's it's not going to be there. And so, yeah, when people do this knee-jerk reaction to say, oh, you're lean, you must not eat carbs. It's like, well, no, you probably just manage your carbs really yeah. well, right. right? And to do that, we're talking about eating them before and after training, right? And, um, and just being aware of how many carbs are in certain foods, right? right? Um, I think that's where that's the number one thing. If people just start to become aware of what they're actually eating, then you start to see how easy it is to overeat, right? To go off of a plan. Like, uh, you know, and this is why I'm a big fan of eating as many whole food options as possible because it's it nature is like this amazing thing because it's really difficult to overeat whole foods, yeah. right? Um, Try to get fat you know, on even, chicken and broccoli. Well, yeah, I mean, the amount even so we can talk about like white rice, the amount of white rice you would need to eat 
to really get too many carbs, it's like you're just going to feel uncomfortable. Oh, 100%. Right? That's gonna, I like, mean, even getting 100 grams of carbs in white rice, that's a whole packet, like a cup of white rice. That's a lot of rice for me. Yeah, and and so it's if you stick to whole foods, um, whole food sources. Not the uh, store, not a sponsor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whenever, whenever I type that out to a client, it always wants to capitalize. And it's like, no, I don't, like, I'm not talking about the store. Um, but if they want to sponsor me, that's cool. Yeah, uh, exactly. I'll take it. <laughs> but if you stick to whole food sources, you're going to be pretty good. Because the other side of that is it, they're set up to fulfill your needs, right? So if you eat you know, high-quality lean protein and a good amount of plants, there's going to be this kind of synergy between those to where you're going to be able to get the nutrients, right? If you look at a ribeye, it's not just straight protein. There's a decent amount of fat in there also. Well, that's going to satiate and and fulfill the needs that you need for both proteins and fats. And if you look at, you know, people want to say like, oh, you know, fruits are high in sugar. Yeah, okay. But they're also full of vitamins and and mineral or mostly vitamins, but they're full of other nutrients. And the way those sugars process compared to, you know, the sugars you find in, uh, you know, whatever, in, in a bag of M&Ms, they're completely different, right? Your body is ready to process fructose, the, you know, high fructose corn syrup type stuff that your body isn't really made to process. So, no, carbs have gotten kind of a bad rap. Um, but, but again, if we look at how it came about, we were like a super high carb uh, society. And so it's like, it probably pushed us back to a more reasonable level, but now we can, we can kind of sit somewhere in the middle and be all right. Right. That makes sense. And yeah, I think just from my own personal experience, it's, I've definitely felt like if you upregulate protein intake and your training, the carbs sort of feel like they sort themselves out, um, that I, Mm -hmm. I don't have to micromanage everything too much, but so I think, again, just takeaways on what we're talking about are sort of like whole foods as much as possible. Uh, Make sure you're getting enough protein. And then, you know, if you want to track your caloric intake, that can be valuable. But also, like, if if you're doing the rest of it okay, you know, you're you're probably going to be in better shape than you are. That's more low-hanging fruit. Yeah, really, it's... uh, So, and this is... I'm going to caveat this. I'm not a huge proponent of fasting but a a neat thing that happens with fasting is you can reset your hunger cues you don't not everybody needs to do that so if you're listening you don't have to fast to do this but being in tune with your hunger cues will really guide you where you need to go because if you simply just eat when you're hungry and then stop before you get full right we all know that feeling of being full if you stop eating before you're at that point before the meat sweats you'll be fine (laughs) yeah yeah well unless you're at brazilian barbecue then (laughs) dive full on yeah but uh but no if you kind of just use those intuitive uh feelings right am i hungry well then i'm gonna eat uh if am i feeling full well then i'm gonna stop you're going to be all right, mm. right? Especially if you're not trying to necessarily specifically gain mass or specifically lean, your body, it's going to naturally settle at wherever it's going to settle, mm-hmm. right? And this is this is what people also don't understand, right? They say like, oh, and I'm sure you guys have heard it, like, oh, I want to put on like 10 pounds. It's like, dude, that's hard. Mm-hmm. Like that's hard work because your body doesn't want to. Your body wants to be where it is. It's comfortable where it is. It likes where it is. Putting on weight, just like losing weight, is a heavy stress for your body. Yeah. And your body doesn't want to be stressed. Sure. And so 
when you go to chase like the 10 pound bulk or whatever, you'll find out that your body says, hey, we don't like this. So we're just going to sweat all the time yeah. because we have all these calories. And so we're going to burn them. Same thing when you're going the other way, when you're trying to lose weight. If you don't act, if you don't actively try to be active, if you don't intentionally be active, your body's going to say, hey, we're not getting as many calories. So let's not be as active. Right. Right. Your body wants to be where it is. And so if you can just learn to listen to your body, you'll be pretty all right. So, to- you know, you'll. So to touch yep. on to what you were just saying about listening to your hunger cues and fasting to figure that out, uh, how long of a fast are you talking about? A day, 12 hours, a week? So, so if people want to dive into this, the where I always tell people to start is what we call like a circadian fast. Okay. And what that simply means is, hey, when the sun's going down, stop eating and don't eat until the sun's cool. up. And you can say... Oh, that's just like, don't eat throughout the night. Sure. Like you're sleeping most of that. Right. But a a lot of times what people forget, you know, we take rest days from the gym because we need to let our muscles recover. Well, your gut and all the organs inside are tissues just like your muscles and they need to recover. But if you're eating well into the night and then you get up and you're an early riser and you eat breakfast right away and you look at how many hours throughout the day your gut is active you realize like, oh, it's it's not really able to regenerate. And if your gut is too stressed, well, then we run into these digestive issues and things like that. So if people even want to start fasting, I just say try the circadian fast. So finish your dinner before the sun goes down and don't eat breakfast until the sun comes up. You can drink water and all that stuff throughout the night. That's fine. But just no calories and see how that goes. And oftentimes that's enough to get people back in tune. That's pretty right? cool. They don't need to do these drastic um, long fasts. Really, for most people, if they, the craziest I would say to get is like on a Saturday, just don't eat. Like sure. 24 hours, it's not going to kill you. But again, I'm such a big proponent of the behaviors around eating that I don't like that because if you're not eating, you're not able to practice intuitive eating yeah. and things like that. And you're going to so, skew that whole thing of like, I'm, I'm listening to my hunger cue and it's telling me I'm fucking starving, but I'm going to deny yeah. myself that because I'm trying to let my gut rest. Yeah. And so, so the circadian fast, I'm a big fan of cause it's easy, right? You're sleeping most of that time. Um, and, and it just, it typically does enough to get you back in tune. Cause oftentimes what people find, especially early risers is they're kind of forcing themselves to eat breakfast, right? Because we, you guys are probably like me, we were raised to believe like breakfast is the most important meal of the day when really your body doesn't care. Sure. There's no, the, the most important meal of the day is when your body's hungry, you feed it. Mm-hmm. But If you're waking up and trying to jam down breakfast, you know, especially, you know, if you're trying to get to an early morning gym class and you think, well, I got to eat before I go, you know, try, try not, right? If you're not a high performer, it's not going to matter too much and you'll be able to learn a little bit about yourself. Um, But if your body is not ready to eat, it's not going to be able to digest. You know, uh, we talk you guys probably know if your listeners don't know, there's like parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems. And you probably have heard the fight or flight, right? Or the rest and digest. So sympathetic is fight or flight, meaning we're revved up, ready to go. When we train, when we compete, if a bear is chasing us, that's being sympathetic. Parasympathetic is everything else. So resting and digesting when we are cooling down and and when we're sleeping and um, just kind of hanging out, watching Netflix, we're kind of in that parasympathetic state. If we feed ourselves before we're parasympathetic, it doesn't work, right? So parasympathetic is rest and digest, meaning we have to be in a parasympathetic state to really effectively digest our food. Okay. 
if if you're somebody who's trying to do you know six meals a day or whatever and you're you're eating right after you work out you're still in that like heightened sympathetic state so you're putting food down but your body's not really able to use it right and so we've all probably been to like a local throwdown or even like you know hey guys we're going to start the workout in three minutes hit the bathroom now and there's somebody in there just destroying the bathroom that's because they are in a sympathetic state and their body says hey we can't digest anything right now so let's get it out Mm. right and and so if you're somebody who's kind of has some of those issues the circadian fast will help with that because it'll help you kind of balance those two states but then also just being aware of you know, how do I feel? Is my heart rate back down? That's like the easiest one. Sure. Is my heart rate and breathing back down? Am I sweating? If you're not sweating and your heart rate's down, you're probably ready to eat. And maybe that's 20 minutes after workout. Maybe that's an hour and a half after workout because that's going to depend on your daily stresses. And there's like a ton of things that influence all of that. So, but, but uh, all the people that we know that are trying to pound down a protein shake immediately after their BCAAs because they, they got to refuel immediately after, a lot of that effort is in vain where it's not working for them. Exactly. But that comes just like we talked about with the training plans. Where did we get that? We got that from high performers who have to train, right? Because they have to, they have to refuel now because they have another session coming up in three hours, right? So they've taken the time to train their body to do that. Um, Like when I swam in college, we had morning practice and we had afternoon practice and, you know, we were burning through calories. So I, I was okay eating 10 minutes after I got done training, my body was ready to take that on because I had trained it to do that. But if you haven't taken that time to train that, just like you haven't taken time to train the volume or anything like that, yeah, it's in vain. And it's probably also going to cause a little bit of GI distress and and you'll probably not have, you know, your stomach's probably not going to be as happy as possible. Ran into that a lot in the endurance sports is all the practicing fueling while training. I mean, I feel like that's part of why, I don't know if it's a natural thing or I've just, done it so much throughout my life but whenever we've done like the donut 5k and stuff it's like i handle eating and moving really well and so it's never been a problem for me that's like i can Mm -hmm. run at threshold for a mile slam a donut and keep running and it's fine but we definitely have people in the gym who puke at every station and their bodies do not like that at all you know so that's interesting i'd never thought about sort of the sympathetic uh parasympathetic element to that yeah, and, and so that's the thing. That's why I say daily stress is going to impact that because if you're showing up to that donut 5K already stressed out mm. and then you start to, like, you're just going to keep driving further into the sympathetic, right? Um, now, I, like, I know you guys do, like, a big beer mile. Uh, you're going to throw up at the beer mile for a lot of other reasons, <laughs> yeah. right? But, but no, Evan, like you said, like, I when I was training heavily for swimming, like, I could finish like two McDonald's McMuffins and then jump into practice right away. Mm -hmm. And it was fine. Like, but again, that's because I had trained my body to do that. Now, if I could go back and tell myself like, Hey, maybe not McMuffins, maybe you should have some better choices. Things would have been different, but, um, but no, it, 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 that training your fueling is just as important as training the actual training, right? It's, it's just as maybe even more important, I'd say, because it's going to dictate how the actual physical training is going to go. So with that being said, we've talked about calories, time for consumption of food, calories being dictated or carbs being dictated by volume of training. How do the common person monitor all of their bio data to, to get to what they need, right? Like how, how, should, how should someone monitor their sleep to know, hey, am I sleeping enough? Because um, I know you hear people talk about heart rate variability. Mm-hmm. Is that something that even comes into play with longevity or is that something where as an older athlete – 
do I really need to know about that? Is that is that data that I need to know, or is that kind of beyond me at this point? Yeah, and and I think the the quick caveat I would I would add to that is like there's so much marketing hype right now around all the mm-hmm. stuff you should track, and there's Inside Tracker, and there's Whoop, and there's this, that, and the other thing, and like what are the most important parts of that? Because there's so many rabbit holes you could go down. Yeah, yeah. I guess the first, uh, the quick answer to that is what, it's another question, is what can you take action on, right? So you can, yeah, you can get all sorts of blood testing and get all this tech and stuff like that, but if you don't know what the data means and you have no way to really action it, then it's probably just going to end up stressing you out even more. Um, So like real easy stuff, you can just take inventory when you wake up, are you still tired? Well, then you're either overexerting yourself during the day or you're not sleeping enough. Right. The and answer can, to that is yes. Always, always <laughs> <yeah>. tired. <laughs> or you've got several kids that make you sleep in their bed for hours at night. Um, but, but that's like the first question. If you're still tired, then one of two things need to change. You either need to sleep more or you need to do less. And that's kind of counterintuitive because you're like, Oh, I need to be healthy. So I need to train every day. Yeah. But maybe, Instead of going in for the hour class, burn yourself down, you go in, you ride the bike for 20 minutes, maybe do some stretching or whatever, and then hit the road, right? Get a little gotcha. bit of activity in, but not anything that's going to wear you down, you know, something that could be regenerative. And so that's the first question. And then from there, there's a couple routes you can go. Um, I'm a big fan of blood tests. Like, so uh, okay. yeah, inside tracker is a great one um, because those are relatively easily actionable. You'll get this read out whatever blood tests uh, company you go with. There's a whole bunch out there. Um, but you'll get this readout, and most of them will give you kind of the general blood test. So you'll see like your lipids and your blood glucose and all that kind of stuff. But then they typically tell you like what micronutrients you're deficient in. And that's easy okay. enough. You can just then Google, hey, what is a, like I'm deficient in vitamin K. Where can I find vitamin K, right? And Google will help you out. Um, there's also, uh, if if that's the route you want to go, there's an app, uh, not not sponsored or anything, but I just really enjoy it. It's called Chronometer, um, C-R-O-N-O-M-E-T-E-R, uh, because it breaks down uh, foods by micronutrient really well, and it helps you fill those mm-hmm. holes. So if that's the route you want to go, if you think sleep is, is solid and you want to get blood tests, I'm all about it. Um, if sleep is what you want to focus on, yeah, heart rate variability is not bad, but again, do you know how to action it? And, and so this comes down to a couple things. One, does the piece of tech you're doing help communicate what it really means? If you're simply measuring heart rate variability, but you have no bearing on what that means, you're probably going to have a hard time actioning it. Um, but there are devices. So, um, you know, a lot of the like Garmin and Polar watches will measure heart rate vari- variability, but then put it in kind of layman's terms of like, you know, you're overtraining or whatever. Gotcha. Um, Morpheus is another system. That's Joel Jamison's system. It, it does a good job of kind of setting your heart rate zones for that day. But okay, the big thing would be, can you change your training, right? But it, if right. I'm just going to a one-hour class and I'm doing what the, the whole gym is doing, I don't know how much knowing your heart rate variability is going to matter, you know, because you're right, still going to sure. do the same thing they do. So then I go back to, again, just check in with yourself. Are you tired? How's your mood? Right. Um, you know, how stressed are you? And just let those kind of subjective markers dictate where you go that day, you know? Um, Absolutely. And I think that as a coach, 
I do a lot of personal training, and those are all the things that we ask when you come in the door, and they don't even know it. Hey, how are you feeling today? What's going on with your family? What's up with work? And we're just kind of getting a quick snapshot of your life so we can plan out the day. I have a course of action that I want to take, right. yeah. but it, as you said, it's it's penciled in. It's not in, it's not in pen. It's very, very fluid. Maybe I wanted to bring you up heavy on squats today where we're going to throw that at the window, and we're going to do some lower, lower intensity, higher volume stuff. Right. But I think like what you're saying there where the tech delivers – is also if you're doing one-on-one stuff, the job of the coach to read your athlete and have the conversation, right. and figure that out. Absolutely. And I think too, it's like that, that question of like, not only what, what do you know how to action, but what can you or will you action? Like there was a, Rome and I tested whoops for six months. It was the last generation. So I'll put that as a caveat because I've heard they're better now, but not to put Rome on blast, but I remember coming in every day and you being like, says I slept for four hours again. And it's like, and it's, I'm still going to train. Fuck it. And I'm still, <laughs> and there's not that much I can do about that. So it's like, this is a, an interesting, irrelevant piece of data to have at a certain point. Yep. It's like, my sleep is not controllable. My training volume is going to be what it's going to be. And so my HRV sort of doesn't matter. And then I think like the observation I had with the whoop two personally, which I think you came similar is like, it sort of just tells me what I already know in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. It's like, it's a green day or a red day. And it's like, yeah, I sort of knew that without looking at the display. And so that's where like, for me on the wearable side, like some of the Garmin data, I had an Apple watch, I've had a whoop and now I have a Garmin nine, four, five. And it's like having the progression of like being able to chart some progression on actual performance metrics is interesting with seeing like cycling power output or seeing if you're setting like swim split PRs or whatever else. But some of the pure just like resting heart rate, HRV, sleep, whatever to me is like, if you're not going to do anything about it, it doesn't really matter. And if you are going to do something about it, you probably can do that with or without the data too. That's like you can sleep more, eat better and listen to your body without having a watch tell you to do that, you know? And that and that's the key, though, is you ha- like you have to take the time to listen. And and again, you might not be happy with what your body's telling you, but then you yeah. have to make a decision, right? Yeah, Rome, you're getting four hours of sleep, dude. There's nothing until your kids are 16, 17, 18 years old. There's <laughs> nothing you're doing about that. And then even then, you're probably staying up because you're making sure they come home for curfew, right? So, um, what you have to do is say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna really practice this intuitive mindset and really try to listen to my body but then am i going to action what my body is telling me or am i going to let that sit in the back of my head so when i do train right off four hours of sleep and i have kind of a poor training day i'm not going to beat myself up because i remember i had four hours of sleep and i woke up as a zombie um the one metric i would say that i am a big fan of everybody knowing is uh getting a heart rate monitor and just measuring your heart rate during training just so you know, because that will help one that'll help you understand kind of when we say like high intensity or low intensity, like that'll start to put a, a tangible number with a feeling. Sure. But two, that's the one metric uh, that'll say is like objective that helps if, if you wake up and you get your resting heart rate. You can kind of plot where it normally is. You know, I know my resting heart rate is anywhere between like 48 to 54 if it starts to go higher than that, I know a couple things are happening. Either I'm too stressed out, which again, Evan, like you said, like, well, I can just ask myself, am I stressed right now? Or what I like it for is that also kind of indicates, am I going to get sick soon? Right? Because sure. 
sickness doesn't just set on like that. It's it's kind of a slow progress. Your body tries to fight it, tries to fight it, and then it can't win the fight anymore. So if you are measuring your heart rate and you're measuring your resting heart rate, that'll just kind of help indicate some things that are going on under the hood that might not be as apparent. Um, and it's pretty it's pretty low risk, right? Knowing your heart rate isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, as a coach, I enjoyed it because then I really could have these conversations with my clients of, you know, you felt like emotionally, you felt like it was a high intensity day, but your heart rate didn't get above 160 because the way the workout was structured, there was rest and things like that. So then when we go into our eating, we didn't have a super high intensity day. So we didn't burn as much as maybe you thought we did. So just remember that. Right. And, and it, it opens up room for other conversations. Um, so that's the one metric that I would say if, if people want, and yeah, you got the Apple watch that can take it. You got all these ways to take it. And, and there are certain ways that are probably better than others, but just to get a general idea, I think that helps educate the client so that you, the coach can then have a little bit more of a conversation. Cool. But the caveat yeah, I, there is, is, Sorry, the caveat is that as the coach, you need to know what you're talking about, right? You can't just be Absolutely. like, oh, get your heart rate, because then they're going to come to you and say, all right, my heart rate was this. You, you got to know what you're going to say. Like, yeah, you can't just be like, right. oh, cool. That's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a uh, there's an ultra marathon coach, David Roach, who I've listened to a lot of his mm-hmm. stuff, and I really like a lot of what he's done, but I thought it was really helpful. He basically was saying that like we like to use heart rate to calibrate our athletes perceived exertion. That's Mm -hmm. like, so you know what an easy run is not so that you're measuring your easy runs off of your watch necessarily, but it's like to give people a sense of what is, you know, really hard effort, what is moderate and what is easy. Cause a lot of people without having a real objective thing to compare it to don't have a good sense of that. And so you're running all your easy stuff too hard. You're doing whatever. It's mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, coming in and having actual mm-hmm. percentages to hit and being like, Oh, this is how easy, easy snatches should sure. be, you know? Yeah. But I think to what you're saying, it's like having that sense of like, no, either a, you can go harder or no, you need to go easier than you are, you know? Yeah. And yeah, to relate it to the barbell, it's like 90% lifts are heavy but they're not as heavy as 95 and they're certainly not as heavy as hundred percent. Right. And the heart that's easy to see because there's plates on the bar. But when you tell somebody, Hey, we want to go at like an 85% effort as opposed to a 90% effort, as opposed to hundred percent effort, that all feels the same to someone who has no idea what that means. Right. It just right. means, Oh, I'm going hard or yeah. How many times have we seen, you know, in the warm up, hey, we got an 800 jog in the warm up, and somebody is just booking it. And it's like, hey, man, like, love the love the enthusiasm, but the goal here is just to get the blood flowing. You don't, and they right. don't know, right? They're like, oh, I, that's, I just have one speed, and it's like, no, I just want to win. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I want to go fast. Yeah. So you know, I think, yeah, Evan, exactly what you're saying. It it allows you to have conversations to help people better conceptualize what they're doing and and what you know. Um, what that day's intent was and what that day's stimulus was and, and all that stuff. Very cool. Great. Great. Cool, man. I feel like there's a lot of actionable stuff in there. Absolutely. For people. I so, agree. I think we, uh, we put out a lot of information for people to walk away and put into action in terms of monitoring your sleep, kind of figuring out how many calories a day are you consuming? What's that look like? Um, mm-hmm. Waking up, just take your heart rate really quick. Figure out what that looks like on a daily basis. Um, and I mean, the whoop band did have the cool thing where you saw your heart rate on your phone all the time. And I use that a lot for, um, my rest between sets rather than giving yeah. myself an arbitrary two minutes or three minutes. Well, did my heart rate drop down to where I want it to be? And all right, I'm ready to go again. Right. And that, and that's the thing. Once, 
once you feed your your clients and your athletes just this little bit of information, then you can start doing stuff like that. And then they can get greater returns on their workouts. They'll perform better. You know, everybody will be happier and all that. And it just starts with a little bit of self-education. And it really starts with first just that self-education being understanding yourself, you know, and learning about yourself and how, it, how you feel and what your body is telling you you need as opposed to what you think you need based off yeah. of whatever Instagram or YouTube is telling you. 100%. I have officially removed myself from the Instagrams and the Facebook, so I had no idea what's going on anymore. And it's pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, dude, I'm with you on that. Uh, I I told my wife I committed social media suicide earlier this summer, um, and it's been great. Like, I I have no idea. Um, Right, you have no idea what's going on, but you're not that disconnected because anything that really matters, someone's going to let you know. Right, And, and that's a big thing, you know, talk about listening to your body and stress and sleep and all that, like... Just how much time do we spend on that stuff? You know, absolutely. Uh, Especially you talk about sleep quality. You're on your phone right before you go to bed. You have all that, mm-hmm. like, I mean, all that kind of stuff. We, yeah. we don't have to dive down that rabbit hole now, but we all get it. Maybe you're missing gains because you're busy letting yourself get all fired up by people live tweeting debates. <laughs> yeah. Just just put it down. It's not yeah. going to help anything. Exactly. Unless unless you're watching this on YouTube, then watch this in its entirety, right? Yeah. If this goes yeah, up exactly. on YouTube, we this is important. <laughs> no, right. right. 100%. Well, I was going to ask people where they could find you, but it sounds like you committed suicide there. So if anyone were to want to reach out to you, is there a good way to do that? Yeah. Uh, so um, like I said, I do nutrition work for power athletes. So you can hit me up uh, at Ben Skutnik at powerathletehq.com. Um, I do have... It's like a work in progress, passion project. I've tried to start a couple times in my life to start a website just to try and put informational stuff out there. Because um, I have a couple, uh, like we talk about heart rate stuff. I have a couple training programs on Train Heroic that kind of deal with this stuff. And and so I've started to put a website together, but then uh, got sidetracked with life. Um, but bensgutnick.com. And my goal is to get just some quick digestible stuff on there, educational stuff, like the at the level that we're talking about here, trying to help people understand things they can do to help um, drive performance, whatever that means for them. Uh, but those are probably the two easiest ways, or you can come to Southern Indiana and help me with some work on the farm. Dude, I'm always down for that. Classic. Yeah. Yeah. Farm strong, man. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on and chatting with us, and uh, hopefully we can chat again sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely, guys. This is great. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it.